Hemorrhoids can be a real pain in the butt, causing anal itching and burning and irritation. Get fast relief with all natural, doctor-developed and tested Anacool. Buy Anacool, A-N-A-C-O-O-L. On Amazon right now and save 15% with code WABC2024. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. of conventional wisdom in politics, right? If you work on campaigns, one of the things you always like to hear is every candidate should always run as if they're 10 points behind. Because when you run as if you're 10 points behind, the race is close enough where maybe some hard work, some shoe leather can make a difference. If it's 20 or 30 points behind, chances are there's no chance you're going to lose. No chance you're going to win. If you're 20 or 30 points ahead, you're going to kind of coast and rest on your laurels. There are other things. For instance, years ago, if someone was heavily favored to win an election, the saying used to go, oh, he's definitely going to win. The only way he loses, if he's caught with a live boy or a dead girl. And maybe there's some truth to that, although I think that might be (laughs) a little bit changed from when I came up in the political arena. When you're a political operative, the most important thing that's drilled into you from day one on a political campaign is make sure the candidate is never in the headquarters. They should only be there for maybe a press conference or a photo op. Other than that, they should be out, especially on Election Day, out meeting people, doing their thing. Those are all kind of the conventional parcels of wisdom that if you've been in the political arena, you've heard once or twice. Now, I think we're going to have to add a new one after this Republican nomination contest is done. Which is the more you arrest Donald Trump, the more he will win. Once, Do you remember like maybe three years ago when people were saying, oh, well, I mean, anybody but Trump. Republicans were saying anybody but Trump. If we want a chance at beating Biden and taking the country back, we got to nominate anybody but Trump. We need somebody that maybe is Trumpism without the Trump. Well, look. I honestly think that these indictments and the arrests and the things that aren't indictments but that are legal issues that have been thrown towards him, like the civil suit in New York brought by the Attorney General Letitia James, like the attempts to remove him from the ballot in states like Colorado and Maine, I think this has been incredibly beneficial to President Trump politically. I think this has caused a kind of rallying around the flag effect. For people that might have not liked Trump before, I'm talking not about the diehard go Trump, go um, MAGA Trump, Trump Trumplican. I'm talking about somebody that says, you know, I like the economy under Trump. I like what he did on the border. I like what he did on the Supreme Court. I just don't like him. I'd prefer to vote for someone else. What I have seen both anecdotally and some polls to this effect is that the attempts 
to take Trump out of the race have caused those people, the Trump skeptic Republican and conservatives, to basically view this as an attack on democracy itself. And again, I'm not trying to be hyperbolic here, but I think that's how a lot of these folks do it. And if you're looking for why Trump is now two for two in primary contests and going into South Carolina, a heavy favorite, I think two of the most important people in that equation are Alvin Bragg and Jack Smith. But uh, so Trump, by now you've heard, has won the New Hampshire primary. Looks like he won about 54, 55 percent of the vote. We don't have the exact numbers yet, but that looks like about where it's going to be. I have to tell you, I thought Trump was going to win a bit bigger. But uh, and Haley did better than I thought she would. I thought she would be hovering around 40 percent. She did a little bit better than that. Looks like she's about 43 and change, maybe even 44 before it's all said and done. And uh, she says she is moving on to South Carolina. Now, this kind of makes sense. From her point of view, this is her home state. This is the state where she was the governor. This is the state where she's lived just about her whole life. And it's the state where, presumably, she has a record that she's pretty proud of. She's won a lot of elections there. So if there's a state where she can be competitive going into Super Tuesday, you'd think it's South Carolina. Now, the problem for Nikki Haley is South Carolina doesn't feel that way. The polling suggests – now, again, I don't like to read too much into polling because my fear is that with polling, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. So I don't like to go too much into it, but let me – I'll just mention briefly. The polling does suggest that Trump is heavily ahead. Additionally, almost every key elected official in South Carolina, many of whom are very popular, have endorsed Donald Trump. Additionally – Nancy Mace, and this is really wild, Nancy Mace, who I think may be on with my friend Sid Rosenberg today. Nancy Mace, who's Nikki Haley's congresswoman. Nancy Mace, who is a personal friend of Nikki Haley. And remember, Nikki Haley had a very tough primary last year. And you know who opposed her in that primary and backed her opponent? Donald Trump. Because he didn't like the things that she said about him with respect to Trump's role on January 6th. So Trump went all in opposing Nancy Mace, who's now probably one of the best known Republican members of Congress in the country. You know who supported Nancy Mace? Nikki Haley. And went all over the district, which was her district, campaigning for her. And Nancy Mace ended up winning one of the few Republicans to win going in a primary going against Trump. And one of the people responsible for that victory was Nikki Haley. And even Nancy Mace is backing Trump over Nikki Haley. So I was um, I was on the uh, bicycle, the stationary bike again uh, last night, which I don't even know why I, I bother because I just I go on this bike and it's just so futile because I, I go on this bike and then, you know, you burn whatever amount of calories and then I am just famished. I'm, I'm starving and then I'm looking. No peanut M&M is safe anywhere in my in my reach. So uh, you, you, you burn it off on the bicycle and then you eat it back with these peanut M&Ms. I mean, I, I'm waiting for the day. When a Michael Bloomberg type comes into office as mayor again or president or governor, and then he deploys a task force like the untouchables, but for junk food. And I don't have that much of a sweet tooth, but there's just something about the peanut M&M. 
which other than the Reese's Pieces is really the only kind of candy that I, I really enjoy. I'm waiting for the day where I walk in here and we have a machine for peanut M&Ms and the regular M&Ms. The M&Ms, the regular M&Ms don't tempt me at all. But the peanut M&Ms, I just can't resist. I cannot go in that room without getting a handful. It's like almost in a gumball machine. I'm waiting for the day when a Bloomberg-style mayor or governor or president sends the unsugarables out to various conference rooms and kitchens in workplaces across the country, and they smash these these candy bowls the way Elliot Ness used to smash the containers of beer during uh, during Prohibition. At least that's how it was displayed on um, on the Untouchables. But I ended up watching a little bit of uh, Nancy of Nikki Haley's. See, I was I was not going to confuse her with Nancy Pelosi, as some other people do. But I was watching a little bit of uh, Nikki Haley's acceptance, or she she acted like it was an acceptance speech, but she made clear she's not going anywhere. She's going to South Carolina. She's staying in this race. I thought it was a well-delivered speech. I thought she struck a good chord between not being a sore loser, congratulating Trump, but kind of throwing down the gauntlet a little bit and making clear that she's in this race to stay. She was respectful. Um, but not servile. She was challenging, but not insulting. And this was one of the things that I found most interesting about this. Here was Nikki Haley from uh, just a few hours ago after her narrow loss in somewhat narrow um, in New Hampshire. The other day, Donald Trump accused me of not providing security at the Capitol on January 6th. No, I've long called for mental competency tests for politicians over the age of 75. <laughs> Trump claims he'd do better than me in one of those tests. Maybe he would, maybe he wouldn't. But if he thinks that, then he should have no problem standing on a debate stage with me. Now, I thought this was really interesting. It's the race is now a two person race, right? It's between Trump and Nikki Haley. There's no doubt that Trump is the heavy favorite. And so far, Trump has avoided all of the primary debates. And look, I I would never vote for Nikki Haley. To me, she's a neocon on the order of a McCain, a Romney or a Bush. There are things stylistically I like about her much more than Trump. But when it comes to policy, I'm much closer to Trump on trade, on immigration and especially these never ending foreign wars. So I would never vote for Nikki Haley for anything. But um, I think she's right. I think Trump should debate her. So far, Trump has not wanted to debate because he was so far ahead and basically he didn't want a situation where five of these uh, Herkima jerks were going to gang up on him and he would give these people that nobody would have even heard of. I'm thinking folks like Asa Hutchinson. He would give these folks an audience that they wouldn't otherwise have. At this point, I think Trump should debate. And look, I think, you know, again, uh, the Democratic primary is a little bit of a different situation. But I th- I thought Biden should debate when he had uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. as an opponent. And I still think Biden should debate with uh, Dean Phillips as a as an opponent. Now, Dean Phillips has not caught as much momentum or by any stretch as Nikki Haley has on the Republican side of things. But 
I think this would do a few things. One, I think it's the right thing to do. I think if you're going to run for president and ask people for your vote, for their vote, you should go out there and explain why you're the best person for the job. You know what's interesting? The candidate in New Hampshire that was much more focused on issues was was Trump. It was absolutely Trump. The things that you heard from Nikki Haley were Trump's lying and Trump is old and, you know, some version of that. Trump's campaign was actually out there talking about issues. And that's something that has been almost totally ignored by the press. But Trump should debate her. One, because we know where the current sentiments of the Republican Party are, right? I mean, there's no doubt, I think, in my mind, that the average ordinary Republican, when they hear Trump's version of where the GOP should be as compared to Haley's, they're much closer to where Trump is than where Nikki Haley is. Two, it takes away the criticism from others or from anyone else in either the primary or the general election that Trump is refusing to debate. It takes that right off the board. Three, look, we've seen Nikki Haley debate and we've seen Trump debate in these primary contests. The fact is, in my view, Trump is a much better debater. He's more entertaining. He's more a a quick-witted with a turn of phrase. And I I think we know what the result would be. And lastly, from his point of view, Trump... um, is going to probably agree to at least one general election debate. I mean, I can't imagine that he skips them all. Maybe he will. Who knows? But I think this would be a good warm-up for him. It's like an exhibition game during spring training. It's good to have these debates. You know, Biden was a better debater in 2020 in the general election because of all the debates that he had had with Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren and Mike Bloomberg and um, Andrew Yang and every and uh, Tulsi Gabbard, Kamala Harris. And because he was tested in those debates, he was a little bit better seasoned in those general election debates. And I think that would be true for Trump as well. I don't think, you know, presidential debates are not the kind of thing where you just walk off the street, unless you're somebody like a Newt Gingrich um, or a Bill Clinton, where you're both a policy wonk and able to get these ideas out very quickly, where you can just walk off the street and participate in these presidential debates. No, it's almost like trying to run a marathon or maybe a half marathon is a better example. It's almost like trying to run a half marathon without training at all without practicing at all. Now, you could do that with maybe a 5K race, which is basically a cable news debate. It's very difficult to do that in a one-on-one presidential debate for the general election. I think you need some seasoning. So I would suggest that wherever, whether you're a Trump supporter or a Trump critic or anywhere in between, that Trump would be well-served, the Republican Party would be well-served, and quite frankly, the country would be well served by Trump agreeing to at least one debate between now and South Carolina's primary. My question for you is what do you think? 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Because now that it's a one-on-one race, this is really the debate that I want to see. Now, I'm not a Republican, but if I ever were to become a Republican, it would be the kind of populist Republican that the party has, I think, morphed into. Nikki Haley is very much a Bush, Romney, McCain-style Republican. Um, they want 
free trade. They want um, low taxes, less regulation, and endless war. That's basically what she is. She's really like uh, Paul Ryan. You know, speaking of Paul Ryan, he gave a very interesting talk the other day where he talked about why he's not running for president. This is just from two days ago. And I thought he was very honest. And I give him credit for being honest because what Nikki Haley's trying to do, and this is how she got her job in the Trump administration uh, to begin with, and shame on Trump for ever hiring someone with her foreign policy views to begin with. But what Nikki Haley tries to do is say enough nice things about Trump so that she doesn't alienate the Trump's base, the, the Trump base when it's clear she believes the antithesis of everything that Trump believes. Now, Paul Ryan maybe could be a little bit more honest because he's not running for president. But here was Paul Ryan explaining why he could not be a viable presidential candidate in today's GOP. Paul Ryan, of course, was the uh, choice for vice president by Willard Mitt Romney, a perfect choice for Willard Mitt Romney, if ever there was one. And he was also the Speaker of the House during the Trump administration. Now he's on a bunch of boards, making a bunch of money. One of the boards he's on, by the way, is, is Fox, interestingly enough. Here's Paul Ryan. I'm an anti-Trump guy. I don't I don't I make the he's not going to get elected, but I also don't think he's he's fit for office. So that right there takes 40 percent off the table for me. And, you know, I thought um, there was a little bit longer of a clip there, but he was in being very honest. Right. I mean, that's why he doesn't fit in to today's GOP. And I really don't think Nikki Haley does either. I mean, my problem with Trump, so much of it is tone. And rhetoric. I mean, there's a meanness to him and a lot of his supporters that I think is just unnecessary, especially what so many of his supporters have referred to in using him being president as an opportunity to get back at everybody. We're going to get back at the Democrats. We're going to prosecute Biden and everybody else. I mean, it's that kind of thing that really turns me off. I think if he were to just stick to fair trade. You know, making sure we're not taking advantage of by China, peace with other countries like especially nuclear ones like North Korea and Russia, uh, strong borders and a vibrant economy. I think a lot of people, including a lot of the Democrats that voted for him in 2016, could be persuaded to vote for him again. I just think his his behavior turns so many people off. I wish he would just stick much more on message than he than just with all this negative rhetoric. But whatever. There's no changing him now, I guess. Um, Trump did take a few shots at Nikki Haley. Remember, he spoke after her speech in New Hampshire yesterday. Here's a little bit of what Trump had to say. Today, I have to tell you, it was very interesting because I said, wow, what a great victory. But then somebody ran up to the stage all dressed up nicely. <laughs> When it was at 7, but now I just walked up and it's at 14. But but she ran up when it was 7. And, you know, we have to do what's good for our party. And she was up and I said, wow, she's doing uh, like a speech like she won. She didn't win. She lost. And, you know, last, last week we had a little bit of a problem. And if you remember, Ron was very upset because she ran up and she... Pretended she won Iowa. And I looked around. I said, didn't she come in third? Yeah, she came in third. 
And he was just getting started. 800-848-9222. The radical left Democrats are supporting Nikki for a very simple reason, because they know she's easy to beat. Uh, she, they came out with a poll two days ago where she's way down to Biden, and I'm way up on Biden. And that's the way it is. She's unelectable. There you have it. Uh, so those are the battle lines. I'd love to see the two of them debate. I don't think that, I don't know that Trump will, but he should. And if you're a Trump supporter, I think you should want him to. Tell me what you think. Whether you're a Trump supporter or a Trump skeptic, should Trump debate? Is it the right thing for him? Is it the right thing for the country? Is it the right thing for the party? 800-848-9222. My answer is an enthusiastic yes on all three, because this is the debate. Because if it would have been Trump versus DeSantis and Haley, it would have been just the two of them ganging up on him about how these um, these arrests and these indictments are just a distraction and about how, um, you know, he's undisciplined and how he's confusing her with Nancy Pelosi. But with two people like this, I mean this sincerely, with two very different visions of the party, it would almost be a contrast like Pat Buchanan and Bob Dole in 1996, where you have one candidate that's clearly a globalist, one candidate that's clearly of America first. You have one candidate that wants to back Ukraine no matter what, one candidate that wants peace with Russia. You have one candidate that uh, will support funding this war in Israel till kingdom come, no matter what the Israelis are doing. And then one candidate that actually has shown some success in bringing about peace in the Middle East. And I think it would be a fascinating debate to watch. One person who has been very, very strong in terms of borders. One person who I, I guess you could charitably describe as wishy-washy on border issues. But what do you think? Especially if you're a gung-ho, diehard Trump supporter, do you think he should debate? Why or why not? 800-848-9222. Let me tell you what's coming up. Lee Fong is going to be here, and I am looking forward uh, to that conversation. In my view, he is one of the best independent journalists and investigative reporters in the country. He's done a lot, not only on this race, but he's done a lot with Moderna, so we're going to get into it. All right. Uh, David is in the Boogie Down Bronx. David, what do you think? Should Trump debate? I know you're not a Trump fan, to put it mildly. No, I'm definitely not. And as I've told you before, I don't believe he's going to participate in any debates to the general election. He's not up for it. He is clearly in a state of mental decline. I'm I'm surprised that he would take pot shots at Nikki Haley like he did tonight. You know, he was supposedly being the unifying candidate, but then he's threatening to uh, prosecute her if he becomes president again. He mentioned things that he knows about her, supposedly. Why would he do that? If he's so far ahead, if he is the great leader that Nancy Mace and these other Republicans are saying he is, why is he so scared of Nikki Haley? I'll be honest with you. I am not impressed with Nikki Haley at all. I don't think she's that smart. She has not had very impressive debate performances except against Vivek Ramaswamy, who was an easy target for her. I don't think she's up to the task. So why – is this man afraid to step in the ring with her? I, that well, is a question I, he should answer. Well, I, I agree with you. I, I agree, first of all. And the fact that she doesn't think this was ever a racist country, it goes to show you that, you know, there's not necessarily a lot of people that would have her with the over in terms of having an IQ above triple digits. But um, the thing that I would say to Trump if I was interviewing Trump is, 
is how do you appoint someone like that as your ambassador to the U.N.? Not only is she as uh, short-sighted in all the things that you say, as, as you say, but she doesn't agree with you on foreign policy. So yet you picked her to be the ambassador to the U.N. What does that say about your judgment? Uh, that's what I would ask Trump if he would ever to come on this show. 800-848-9222, Joaquin is in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Uh, Joaquin, we have a guest coming up, so if you could kind of keep it brief, right. I'd appreciate it. I will try to, but you got you got to go easy on me. I had a 14-hour day, and I just poured myself a glass of bourbon. I'm trying to relax. I made no notes. All right, the first thing I'm going to say is this. Why would he bother debating the first-class loser, the first-place loser that's that far behind? And the other thing is this. When Trump went into office the first time around, he was very naive about the globalists and the, you know, and, and, and that were around him, especially in the Republican Party that he thought were behind him and his MAGA agenda. They, had, they did not believe in you know, the Constitutional Republic of the United States of America. They want to give it up to the globalist agenda. I know I'm a All right, so you say, you say Trump should not, not debate, bottom line. Yes, he, no, he should not debate. Should not debate. Okay. No okay, thank you, Joaquin. Chris in the Catskills, should Trump debate? I would like to hear Trump debate because I think it gives him a chance to win uh, non-Republican voters. I mean, if if I were working for Trump, but um, I think Trump, if this election were next Tuesday and it's Trump versus Biden and there's some third party candidates, I think Trump wins. However, if it were Michelle Obama as the last. Well, it's not going to be Michelle Obama. That's absurd. It's just that's just not going to happen. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. Ray in New Jersey. Should Trump debate? No, because, uh, number one, I think debates are going to be a thing of the past. He does this, like Dominic Carter says, this race is over. He needs to get out. We need to go after Biden. We can't have a zombie in the White House. It is over, this race. Alan Yonkers. Should Trump debate? Hi, Frank. Uh, no, he shouldn't, because, as you know, in politics, if you have a lead, a sizable lead, why would you put yourself in a compromised position, possibly, where the underdog could, uh, you know, hurt you? So he, he's a, a clear front runner. Uh, they're moving on to South Carolina, which, if needed, that was his firewall. Mm-hmm. He didn't need it because he won these two uh, first contests. So I would say definitely no. All right. Well, so, so far, I am literally the only person both on the left and on the right, that thinks Trump should debate. Well, it's not the first time that I'm taking an unorthodox uh, position that nobody else shares. We're going to talk with Lee Fong in just a minute, one of the finest investigative journalists and independent reporters in the country. He's done some great reporting on the presidential race, but also on something pretty sneaky that Moderna is doing, if you ask me. We'll get into it. I'll get his take on how the media is covering the presidential race as well. This is The Other Side of Mid. Night straight ahead. The other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Hemorrhoids can be a real pain in the butt, causing anal itching and burning and irritation. Get fast relief with all natural, doctor developed and tested Anacool. Buy Anacool, A N A C O O L, on Amazon right now and save 15% with code WABC2024. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, 
all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Christian, Sister Christian by Night Ranger. This is one of many great songs that is part of the soundtrack to the film Air. Now, the Academy Award nominations came out yesterday, and Air, unless I missed something, did not get a single nomination in any category. Which, okay, maybe it's not Casablanca, and I haven't seen most of the other films that are nominated. But uh, I'm not sure how much time we're going to have to talk about Air from between now and the Academy Awards, so I figured we'd play a few songs from Air today. One, because they're great music. It's, it's great music and a lot of great 80s music, but also because Air may be just a thing of the past in short order. All right. I can't think of many investigative journalists I have higher regard for than Lee Fong. Uh, as far as what I as far as I'm concerned, what Lee Fong is doing along with others uh, like Matt Taibbi, like Michael Tracy, like Glenn Greenwald is really the future of media. I think gone are the days where people tune in to the evening news at 6:30 to hear uh, someone reading from a screen words that someone else has written on a network that is funded entirely by corporations. I think whether you're left, right, or heterodox, whether you're centrist, whatever the case may be, there's an increasing desire to see alternative viewpoints that don't have their paycheck dictated to them by a major corporation and instead have to go out and find an audience on their own. And there's nobody that does it better than Lee Fong. Lee, it is great to talk with you. Thanks so much for joining me on the radio. Hey, Frank, thank you so much for having me. And thanks for those kind words. I got to say, love being on this program, love your independent voice, and uh, glad you're pushing for a Trump debate. You know, I've got to hold these candidates accountable and you know that's the role of the media so good on you well i appreciate that and lee last last couple times you were on i think i referred to you as lee fang is the proper pronunciation of your last name fang or fang it's fang but it's spelled f-a-n-g so you know i sometimes i correct people sometimes i don't because you know i don't blame anyone for getting it wrong it's f-a-n-g 
but pronounced Fong. Gotcha. Okay, well, I appreciate it. Well, I apologize for calling you Fang last couple of times you were on the program, and thanks for being, um, you know, polite to not publicly correct me. Uh, let me ask you a little bit about this presidential race, because I know you've been covering it. You had a fascinating article a few days ago about all the dark money that is fueling Nikki Haley's campaign, and I thought this was so important, one, because I hadn't really seen this reported anywhere, but it's, I think it's also important because people that don't necessarily follow electoral politics super closely. They see Trump, who comes across as this bombastic, mean-spirited guy who bullies everyone, and it's very easy to portray him and see him as the bad guy. And you see Nikki Haley, who comes across as a modern 21st century woman, polite and exactly the kind of person you'd want on your corporate board, exactly the type of person you'd want uh, teaching your son in school. But I am concerned about a lot of where she has been policy-wise and a lot of her financial uh, connections to the military-industrial complex. What do we know about the role of dark money in her campaign, Lee? Well, look, Nikki Haley really is the candidate of big money in terms of who's financing her campaign. You can get into the her policy background and her history later if you'd like, but just in terms of the numbers, who's powering her campaign. And we've, we've received, we've seen these reports of Wall Street and billionaires organizing kind of closed door fundraisers for her. You know, there's another one coming up this week. Um, but a number of the groups that flooded New Hampshire with television advertisements, with those door mailers, you know, those, those print things that are sent over the mail, with the, actually the people who are walking around knocking on doors, encouraging who encouraged people in New Hampshire to come out and vote for uh, Nikki Haley, they weren't funded by her campaign. Tens of millions of dollars were coming from groups where we don't know uh, the donors, we don't know the source. Um, some of this comes from late registered super PACs. These are super PACs which are technically disclosed. They have to file you know, reports with their donor disclosure, transparency kind of reports. But they were they were formed just in the last month so they kind of missed the registration deadline. So we don't know yet who's funding them. So they're effectively dark money organizations. One group called Independence Moving the Needle, this is actually associated, it was registered by Jonathan Bush, a uh, cousin of former President George W. Bush. They've <laughs> uh, sponsored many of the TV ads. They're going out and, and, and pushing Nikki Haley in, in New Hampshire. Another big group is Americans for Prosperity Action. This is the organization that's formed by billionaire Charles Koch, one of the top 10 wealthiest people in this country. Uh, He's got this political organization that's been very powerful since the days of the Tea Party and early Obama administration. It's semi-disclosed, semi-secret. $25 million comes from a completely undisclosed um, 501c6. This is a nonprofit entity. They channeled it into New Hampshire. They're the ones actually funding a lot of the canvassing, the people knocking on doors, driving people to the polls, you know, doing a lot of the grassroots organizing. They've got a veterans organization out in New Hampshire that's helping Nikki Haley, a Latino organization, a women's organization. They're they're very savvy in terms of micro targeting their their efforts. They don't put on their on their badge or their symbol that hey, we're funded by industrialist billionaires. Uh, they're very good at portraying themselves as a grassroots group. And, and you know, just looking broadly, Nikki Haley, you know, like you, you mentioned the the military industrial. Complex, yes. You know, after doling out hundreds of millions of dollars in subsidies to Boeing, she goes to join the Boeing board. You know, Boeing, big 
part of their budget is not just building these commercial airliners. They built a lot of jets for the military, big military contractor. After she left office as UN ambassador, she was basically broke. Her family was going through bankruptcy. They were about to have their um, small business uh, repossessed and they were facing foreclosure. Suddenly she's worth many millions of dollars. She's got a $5 million mansion or $4 million mansion. Uh, You look at her disclosures, she's giving a lot of speeches and doing a lot of work with military contractors. Her, Her husband works for a kind of mysterious military contractor. No one knows exactly what they do or who they serve. We just know that they're, they self-identify as a military contractor. We, we see that she somehow made all these millions of dollars just in the last few years. Some of that's from Boeing. Some of that's from some of these you know, paid speeches. Uh, but we really don't know the extent of where she got this money. Well, I mean, that's quite alarming. So th- that one super PAC that you alluded to, I think you said the name was Independence Moving the Needle. That's spearheaded by Jonathan Bush, cousin of, of two Republican presidents who nobody in the Bush family, as far as I'm concerned, as far as I can tell, has any history of being an independent. And yet, even though this is very much an establishment Republican group, they're out there. If you're just seeing who pays for these ads, you're out there thinking this is an ad paid for by independents. I mean, I I don't know that it gets much more dishonest than that. That's right. And then if you look at the ads, the majority of them are saying, hey, we're all we're a coalition of former Trump voters who are just so disgusted by Donald Trump that we're switching our vote to Nikki Haley. That's a very persuasive message. I'm not sure if it's honest. I'm not sure if Jonathan Bush and his cohort are former Trump voters who are switching their vote to Nikki Haley. Yeah. That's just what the kind of messaging they think will play in New Hampshire. If people are just tuning in, we're talking with Lee Fong. Uh, you could check out his website and read a lot of his great journalism on a wide variety of subjects. Uh, go to Lee spelled fang f-a-n-g dot com some great stuff on there since you mentioned president trump a couple of uh, days ago you had a fascinating piece about the media and president trump a lot of trump supporters have come to view the conventional media cbs news cnn msnbc as exactly what president trump said it was which was the enemy of the people and having a relationship that is directly adversarial with president trump you've pointed out that the corporations that own these media companies actually did pretty well financially during the Trump administration. Um, how well did they do, and what happened once Trump left office? Well, look, you know, there's a very public adversarial relationship between many journalists and TV hosts and pundits and Donald Trump, and, you know, many reasons behind that. But part of this is perhaps some type of uh, political theater. At the end of the day, CNN, MSNBC, you know, even the New York Times, these are big publicly traded corporations that at the end of the day serve their shareholders. They have a fiduciary duty not to um, journalism, but to uh, helping their investors. And if you look at their investor reports, they have to publicly disclose this information. They never did so well as under Trump, both for his Trump, for the Trump uh, presidential campaign in 2015 and 2016. And uh, during the first few years of his administration, New York Times saw record uh, digital subscriptions. I mean, this went through the roof for the first time in its very long history. It really shifted from a ad-supported uh, newspaper to a subscription-supported newspaper because it made such record profits on digital uh, subscriptions. Uh, same, go- same thing goes for CNN and MSNBC. I mean, these are two cable news outlets that have always lagged behind Fox News, 
until the Trump phenomenon. Finally, they kind of hit their stride as, you know, um, leaders of the, the, the resistance that would always posture and, and any kind of negative story on Trump, they would puff up. And some, some of which some of those stories um, turn out not to be true, uh, particularly around the Russia con- collusion, you know, steel dossier story. They were pushing these stories and getting a lot of eyeballs, a lot of attention, finally lapping Fox News, um, again, uh, generating a lot of profit for their parent corporations. Now that uh, Biden's in office, they've lost a lot of that. The Washington Post uh, just went through another round of layoffs. Actually, today, Los Angeles Times record layoffs. Um, Viewership is down at all these networks. You know, I don't want to speak for the motivations of all journalists. There's a lot of talented journalists at these media outlets, people who are really fighting for the truth. But we we can't ignore the elephant in the room here. Uh, They work for corporations that really benefit from the theater, from the kind of back and forth uh, fights between Trump and the media. They're hoping to get those resistance eyeballs back, get those advertisers back uh, to get their viewership numbers back up. You know, it's such an interesting point that you raise. And we're talking with uh, Lee Fong. You know, it was said that during the 2016 campaign, if you include all the free media attention that Trump got, both favorable coverage and the bulk of it, which was unfavorable, that it was the equivalent of something like $4 billion worth of free television advertising that he'd gotten. And a lot of analysts said that's part of the reason why he was able to spend far less than not only Hillary Clinton, but all of his Republican primary opponents and still win It's obviously we've seen this kind of dance before in other circles where people pretend to be adversaries and then they're part of this mutual uh, benefit society. Is there is there any belief in your mind that the people that own these media outlets, the Washington Post, the New York Times, uh, all these outlets that are very strongly anti-Trump, do you think there's a possibility sincerely? that this could be professional wrestling, that they actually want Trump to win because it's better for their bottom line. Absolutely. I mean, how many journalists sold books in those first few years of the Trump campaign and presidency, some of which, you know, again, turned out to be based on uh, falsehoods. Uh, How many business executives uh, were reaping huge dividends and uh, higher stock prices because of the Trump bump, which is literally the term that they use in these investor right. calls, you know, in these publicly traded companies, they have to report their earnings every uh, every quarter. And you listen to these calls, they're uh, they're incredibly enthusiastic about this wave of coverage. So, you know, and actually one other in terms of the kind of wrestling match, look at the former uh, chairman, C- CEO of CBS News, Les Moonves. He was just explicitly telling uh, his investors that he was saying, thank God for the rancor, uh, referring to the Trump campaign. And another time saying that he was selling so many ads, calling the, the ad growth pretty phenomenal. He says explicitly, go Donald. Keep getting out there. I, I so, think you know, what, the, one of the things that Les was actually publicly quoted as saying was um, uh, on Donald Trump, it may not be good for America, but it's damn good for CBS. Is it any wonder they kept right. covering him? That's right. Yeah, yeah, there you go. I mean, is that really adversarial? It's uh, such such a, such a good point. You know, it's funny. Uh, it would anybody could see that once Trump became the nominee, and certainly once he became president, 
the coverage of everything markedly shifted. I mean, once he would tweet something about anything, whether it was Meryl Streep or Kavefi, that would become front page news. Either people rushing to defend why he was um, wrong about the path of a hurricane or uh, denouncing him for whatever the latest thing that he'd done to hurt democracy. And I'll never forget, I picked up the, um, the, the, the New York Times did a story. I think it was December of 2017. Maybe it was 2016. I think it was 2017. And, you know, I follow what goes on with UFOs pretty closely. And they had done a story about how we, the U.S. government, had secretly been funding UFO research for a decade. And, oh, by the way, here are some photos and here are some videos of naval pilots who've actually got images of UFOs. And people forgot about it in a day. And I remember saying to people at the time, I said, this is crazy. If this was any other era in American history, this would be front page news for five months. But Donald Trump's president, he just tweeted something. Crazy. Let's talk about that instead of one of the most remarkable stories in uh, modern American history. I don't mean to um, go off on a tangent, but what your your analysis is spot on as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, we're in an attention economy. We're, you know, whether it's social media or these tabloid stories that are surround you know tweets or whatever that Trump said or some insult that he's made. You know, it, it people, we're all being distracted, and that's how. Media companies lure advertisers, whoever they can, ho- however they can hold our attention. Uh, Trump is perfect for that because he can constantly flicker his lights and, and figure out how to redirect the narrative. All right, you had another great article that I don't want to let uh, our time together pass without asking you about Moderna, the uh, very big drug company. They had apparently this surveillance operation that targeted independent media voices. What do we know about this? To me, this is quite alarming. Well, look, in the first few years of the pandemic, we really had a uh, – uh, we had media that was operating off the same script. And, it, and any kind of criticism of pandemic policies, whether those were masks, um, you know, lockdowns, uh, vaccine mandates, uh, any kind of criticism of the efficacy of the vaccines, you know, you, you were labeled uh, a hater, uh, you know, a conspiracy theorist, someone who's threatening public safety, and you were really marginalized. So, you know, the – the the criticism the, the the public dissent for vaccine policy really bubbled up around independent media voices um, and you know I, I say that because it's interesting to get these files I, I obtained some internal files from the vaccine maker Moderna and they were keeping close tabs on these independent media voices people like Alex Berenson uh, like um, Michael Schellenberger uh, like Russell Brand. And they were working with a NGO, a, a nonprofit, Public Good Projects, which has a long history of working with the social media companies to help them police alleged misinformation, disinformation, actually to advise them on, on what kind of contents, what kind of accounts and content to shadow ban, to, to, to soft censor and to outright ban. And so, you know, it's not clear exactly what they're doing now, but that's, that, this is a group that has a long history of doing that. They claim that you know they're now working with a network of forty-five thousand healthcare professionals to combat misinformation, and this and this comes back to um, the, the the profit motive of the pandemic and these vaccine policies. Unlike AstraZeneca or Johnson and Johnson or Pfizer, they, those are big established pharmaceutical companies with a lot of products, 
you know, the vaccine was a, was a, was a momentary, mm. you know, surge in profits, but for Moderna, that's their entire, that's their entire thing. That's, that's their only approved product. And, you know, if you look at their investor reports, they're, they're terrified that people are not taking more boosters, that vaccines are not being sold. And so they're really attempting to control the narrative to get people to take more vaccines. Wow. And Lee, by the way, just if folks are wondering uh, if you're grinding some sort of ideological axe with your commentary or your reporting, how would you characterize your politics? I know how others characterize it. How would you characterize it? Well, look, I've spent the last, I've been a journalist for 15 years, and I've been largely categorized as progressive or left-wing. Um, I, I've written for a very long time in a critical way about corporations, unearthed a lot of stories about the, the radical right. Um, but, you know, I, I, I try to keep an open mind. I try to be as independent as possible. And I'm nonpartisan. I, I go after both parties. Mm. I go after powerful people on both sides. So, I, you know, I'm left leaning on some policy issues, some of my values, perhaps, but I try to be fair to everyone. Well, and that's what I think makes you so refreshing. I hope people uh, check out Lee Fung's website and go to LeeFang.com. You can also sign up for his uh, email newsletter. There's a free option and a paid option as well. Lee, thanks as always. We'll talk soon. Hey, thank you so much, Frank. Take care. If you want to comment on any portion of our conversation, please do so. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. A lot to get to, and we'll get to your calls after the top of the hour. Uh, I want to welcome back Elias, who I learned secondhand yesterday had COVID. Elias, apparently everyone else knew you had COVID except me. Sorry, Frank. Uh, we'll, we'll tag you on that email. Yeah, so, uh, I appreciate that. Or, or you know, simple text message, you know. Uh, well, welcome back. How are you feeling? Much better. Um, I'm Pretty much 100%. Oh, that's great. So, but that's you're, great. Wear, you're wearing a mask, which you no, don't normally do. You know, uh, yeah, I just want to be extra safe. You Is know? that for our benefit or yours? Uh, more for yours than anything. All right. Well, thank you. Uh, were you vaccinated? I'm just curious. Uh, yeah, doubled. Doubled. And boosted. And boosted, boosted. yes. Um, I... Well, so now apparently Matt Blaze has COVID, and he's not here. So I'll tell you, if I don't get COVID... After I didn't get my wife's cold and my son's pink eye and strep throat last weekend, I'm convinced that I'm superhuman because <laughs> with these guys every day, two of them have COVID. How are you feeling, Tony? I'm good. Everything's peachy keen. Well, be careful. Until next hour, keep asking questions. Hemorrhoids can be a real pain in the butt. 
causing anal itching and burning and irritation. Get fast relief with all natural, doctor-developed and tested Anacool. Buy Anacool, A-N-A-C-O-O-L. On Amazon right now and save 15% with code WABC2024.